Well, hello, welcome back to this week's Pulpit Debut Podcast and our adult Bible study as we finish up our series entitled, But God, God's Answer to Satan's Challenges. We've been in this about 12 weeks or so now, and we are going to wrap it up. And I just want to give you a little heads up. We Next week is Easter Sunday at our church. We're having a breakfast, so we're not having Sunday school. So I'm not sure what I'm going to do on the podcast then because I've been recording these live and putting them on there. I may do something in the afternoon. And then the week after that, we have revival meetings at our church and the evangelists will be speaking. And so I won't be speaking then. And so I may put something on in the afternoon here and I may not. I'm not sure. But then three weeks from today, we will begin a brand new study. I've already been studying for it. I'm even thinking about doing something on YouTube as a behind the scenes. I haven't decided that yet. But we will be starting that study in our class live, and then I'll be putting it on the podcast in three weeks. A brand new study. I'll announce it probably next week. So looking forward to that. But this week we finish up our But God series looking at two different passages. We start in Genesis, but we come to two different passages that I think are classic passages. Some great But God phrase moments that I think can be a help and encouragement to you. So thank you for listening to the podcast. As always, I encourage you to subscribe to the newsletter at go to bradmcclure.org and you'll see on one of the tabs where you can sign up for the newsletter. Several of you have, and you get that each week. So without further ado, here is this week's study that I think I entitled The Resurrection That Changed Everything. All right, let's go to let's start in Genesis chapter three. We're not going to stay there. We're going to move to the New Testament, but I want to start in Genesis chapter three. Because I want to set this up. I've been trying to figure out how do I want to set up this lesson today. It's the final lesson. I really had three more lessons I, I wanted to do. I'm combining two of them today. Two thoughts, two passages, because I think they go together well. And then the third one is a good one, but it's just never, we're not going to talk about it. It is in 1 Corinthians 10, that one. It's a familiar passage. Maybe I'll do it on the podcast sometime. But... Today we're going to start in First Corinthians, or excuse me, Genesis chapter three. Help me out now. When we get to Genesis chapter number three, what are we, what are we finding? What, we've gone through chapters one and two, the creation, but we come to chapter three. What do we see? The temptation of Adam and Eve, and Eve, serpent. Satan has filled the serpent and is deceiving Eve. Eve takes of the fruit, though she was told not to. And Adam comes and he takes and he eats and mankind has fallen. Mankind have sinned. They were created in innocence. They walked with God. They talked with God. They fellowshiped with God. But now sin has come on the scene. And I think because we, many of us have been raised in church and we are so familiar with this story that it can lose some of its edge. It can lose some of its wow factor. But if we could go back thousands of years and be in that scene this was a, a crucial time in history because man, who Adam and Eve, walked and talked with their creator, with God, but now they broke everything. They chose to disobey. They chose to sin. And now we are seeing the, the curse upon man. And as we pick it up in verse 14, it says, And the Lord God said unto the serpent, So God is going to begin to tell the consequences of their sin. And then the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field, and upon thy belly shalt thou go, 
and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And so this serpent, the physical, actual, what we now call a snake, is who the first part of this curse is to. The physical animal that embodied uh, that embodied Satan is now this creepy animal that we see on the earth. I really do think that before, I was reading about a little bit this week, before the curse happened. Now, I hate snakes, by the way. I know some of you, there's some weird people out there that like snakes and have pet snakes, but I absolutely hate snakes, okay? And I think built into some of that fear, come on in, you're fine. I think built into some of that uh, fear of snakes is the fact that the, the, of this curse. I think it's just, they're creepy the way that they are, but it's just a physical thing. But then it says in verse 15, we get to more of the, the physical animal being cursed. And in verse 15 of Genesis 3, it says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, if you go to Bible college, this is going to be, there's a big term for this. It starts with an E. I can't remember it on the spot, and you won't remember it once we leave here. So it doesn't really matter that we remember all that, but it's the first reference, in a sense, to the, the, the Messiah, the gospel. It's a good picture here of what is going to happen because he said there's going to be this constant battle now between Satan, Satan who deceived Eve, and the seed of the woman, mankind, the seed of mankind. And one of these days, there's going to be this clash. We know it to be. We look back 2,000 years ago, and it's going to be this clash. And it says, what he says here is that, is that it shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Back 2,000 years ago, there was this clash of Satan with Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And as you know, as we talk about, we sing about and everything, when Jesus went to that cross, it was a picture of what was taking place right here, Genesis 3.15, what was being talked about is the, the bruising of the heel in a sense, because it looked like Satan had won. If you think about in history from this time right here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, until even up to that point, sin had destroyed so much. Let's just for a second, think about this. Genesis 1, Genesis 2. God walks with man. He talks with man. He fellowships with man. Everything is good. And now sin comes on the scene and everything is now destroyed. The curse on this world, the, the struggle between man and woman, the pain and childbirth. Then we start seeing in chapter 5, death after death after death after death. And with every death, it seems as if Satan is winning. Because... Death wasn't planned. Excuse me, I should say it worded. I don't, maybe that's a fine way to word it, but death wasn't what God's plan was originally what he wanted. He wanted to walk and talk with man and fellowship with man. But sin came on, and because of that, God kept his word that death by because of sin. And so when you get to chapter 5 and you see death after death after death, and you go down through just the Old Testament, can I, if I can just fly through it with you real quick, I'm not even going to give a lot of illustrations. But you see, even from Noah, right after the, the ark, he, he, he got drunk, and there were some things that happened, and there was sin that involved with his son Ham. And then you, got, you go on down through history, you see Abraham, there is sin. We've seen that in our study this, this, 
The very beginning of our study, we saw Abraham lied about his wife and there was sin. And he died and Sarah died. And you just go down through, you see David, one of my heroes in the Bible. But man, he committed adultery, he committed murder, uh, he, and he sinned. And though he was man after God's own heart, he struggled with this deal of sin and then he died. And it just seems like Satan keeps winning with men and women in the Bible and then they keep dying. And every time there's a death, it just seems as if... Satan wins. Now, take your Bible, go to Acts 13. Acts 13. A passage we don't spend a lot of time on. A passage that, in context, we find Paul and Barnabas at Antioch and they're preaching. And I'm going to take you into the middle of a sermon now. It's just like if we walked into the auditorium and someone was preaching and we sat down and listened. We're sitting down and listening to Paul and, and Barnabas preaching. And Paul's getting to the point where he has walked down through the history of Israel and kind of like I just did, saying, they've sinned, they've sinned, here's what's happened, God's done this. But he comes down to what we understand to be the story of Jesus' crucifixion. And I'll just pick up reading in verse, I'll just pick up verse 28. And though they found no cause of death in him, that's Jesus who he's talking about. I know we're jumping in the middle of a sermon. He's talking about Jesus. And though they found no cause of death in him, in Jesus, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. They wanted Jesus to be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. So they did kill Jesus. We understand that. And then they took Jesus off the tree. Words at tree there instead of cross, probably referencing back in the Old Testament, which says, Cursed is he that dieth upon a tree. Uh, uh, and Galatians talks a little bit about that. And so they took Jesus down off of that cross and they put him into the grave. And once again, like I've been trying to set up, it looks like Satan has won. He has bruised the heel of the seed of the woman. Looks like he's won. Another one's come. Another one has died. But then look at the verse 30. I love this verse. It fits perfect with our theme but God because look at the very first two words after they laid him in the sepulcher but God there's the the change that's the theme of our series is God's answer to Satan's challenges what has been Satan's challenge Satan's challenge started all the way back in Genesis chapter number three when he deceived Eve and 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 Adam disobeyed, and because of that sin, the sin-cursed world is just keeps winning. There's sinner after sinner and death after death, and now it looks like that Jesus also is dead and gone. Now, we have 2,000 years, and I have 40 years of growing up in church and hearing the story, so we already know what happens, but don't lose the wow factor of this phrase, because they put him in that sepulcher, but God raised him from the dead. It's that simple. It's a simple little verse that we don't hear a lot of during the during Easter time. Acts 13 verse 30, but it's so powerful to me that two two words there, but God raised him from the dead. At the very beginning of this series, I said this comment. I think it took it from James Boyce who said, "If you understand these two words, but God, they will save your soul." Well, there's the proof of that right there. But God, they will save your soul. And if you recall them daily and live by them, they will transform your life completely. Well, when God 
did what no man can do and he raised Jesus himself, but Jesus from the dead changed everything. It had been looking like Satan's winning with everybody that there's death and there's death and there's death and there's death and there's sin and there's sin. But now one has risen from the dead. It's, it's Jesus Christ, the Messiah, who died and was buried and he rose again, victorious over sin, victorious over death. And so now when we go to, if we were to read a passage in 1 Corinthians, it says, hey, death, where's your sting? I love that passage. It's almost like it's a mocking at death. And I love it. Because, because of the, this death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, death isn't something we have to fear as Christians anymore. And, and death isn't the final place for us. We know that there's eternity with God because of this phrase right here. But I want to combine that but God, and let's go to Ephesians 2, and we'll, wrap, we'll, we'll stay here for the time. Because we can say, well, that sounds great. Man, we see where the fall has started in Genesis 3.15. We see all these people that have sinned and they've died. Then Jesus resurrected. That's wonderful. We celebrate that. We'll celebrate it next Sunday. But what about me? What does that do for me? I can spend a lot of time on this. But let's, let's start in Ephesians chapter number 2. This would be the original, the original but God phrase if we were going to. And I almost didn't do this whole passage, even though it's probably one of the most well-known. But notice verse 1, he says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's you and me. We, we are or were, depending on your state with God, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. Now watch verse 2. Wherein in times past, he's talking in past tense because he's, re he's referring to a church that are Christians. So I wish I could somehow, for, for the setup of where I'm going, take out that, that context. But he's talking to Christians, but he's describing who they were. And see if it doesn't describe maybe where you were. He says, wherein in times past, ye walked according to the course of this world. So I walked according to the sinfulness of this world. The, the, the things that this world called fun and exciting, though they may have been sin, I found myself walking and doing the same things. And who leads this world? It says in verse 2, again, according to the prince of the power of the air. Now, he's not talking about the prince of the power referring to Jesus Christ. He's referring to Satan here. Satan has been effective for thousands of years, from the Genesis 3.15 all the way back then when we talked about even now, currently, he's considered the prince of the power of the air, and he works to deceive Christians. He, he lost 2,000 years ago. He lost the moment Jesus came up out of that grave, victorious over sin and death and Satan and everything. Satan lost on that day, but what does he do? He still goes around today, and he tries to deceive. He tries to steal the seed. He tries to keep those that are lost from becoming Christians. I said that a year ago yesterday, Chase, who's a friend of mine, but also a co-worker, accepted Jesus Christ as a Savior. And, I, and Chase was one of those that I had been, Ryan had probably been praying for for some time, uh, probably maybe Aaron. I mean, we've been thinking about him and inviting him to stuff. And, and Chase had kind of grown up religious. And so in his mind, I'm pretty good. And so it, it's kind of hard when you go to work every single day. You don't just go to work every day and say, hey, if you die today, you know for sure you go to heaven? Ah, all right. You don't do that every single day. 
but we're, I'm constantly talking about things with him and inviting him. And, and I kind of gave him in a little passive-aggressive way, just kind of letting him, he assumed that he was on his way to heaven and letting him assume that. But I'm just talking about things like this when we're just talking. And then finally one day he came to me and he said, Hey, Brad, you know, I, I don't even know what it means to be saved. I thought, I know you don't, but I've been waiting for you to get to this point. He goes, what do you mean when you say saved? Because the Catholic Church says this. Well, what do you mean? And I, began, and I just took the Bible and I showed him what the Bible says about salvation, about Jesus Christ and his death, his burial, his resurrection. And, and, and so that day he ended up leaving work and he got driving home. And when he was driving home, he prayed and said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I don't know exactly what he prayed, but he prayed. And God, I know I'm a sinner, but I believe that that your son Jesus died for me. He was buried and rose again. And the best I know how, I'm asking you to forgive me my sins and to save me. And then he picked up his phone while he was driving and texted me and said, I accepted Christ as my Savior one year ago. So one year ago, the prince of the power who had been deceiving him, Satan had been deceiving him and had that scale over his eyes, all of that was taken back by the gospel and Chase had received Christ as his Savior. So we, but we were the same place at some point. We were following after the course of this world, after the prince of the power of this air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. We were children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, that means our conduct in times past, in the lusts of our flesh. Think about it. But now, if you're a Christian in here, you're already living in the state of being a Christian. So you don't like to go back maybe to think about this, but for the sake of this, go back for a second and think about that. We lived according to the, the lust and our desire. Whatever I wanted, I just did. Because I was the center of my life. I was the God of my life. If this is what I want, this is what I do. Now sadly, Christians sometimes revert back to living like that. Well, they get saved and they're thankful for that. And then they go back to, well, I just do whatever I want. Live my life for me. No, no, no. If any man will come after me, Jesus said, let him first deny himself. And so here, here he is. He says, and this, Paul's just writing to these, to these now Christians, reminding them of where they were. And he says, you were fulfilling the desires of your flesh and of the mind and, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But look at verse 4. But... God. So here we were, we were living in our sin. We, 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 we're in a free nation or a, a quote-unquote Christian nation. I think we're past that. But, but we, we're living in this wonderful country. We, we've maybe heard about Jesus, but we've lived in our sin and who we are. We followed after our lust and all of this. But for all of us, I've mentioned chases, but for me, I was 12 years old. I don't know for you, but then I had this moment right here. It says, but... God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved. Now watch this phrase, verse 6. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. This is what I love about it. I was a sinner. I was 12 years old. I'd been raised in this church my entire life. It's not like I had been out. I wasn't a 12-year-old drug dealer or anything like that. I wasn't smart enough to do that, all right? I, don't, I could barely get through a video game probably at 12. I, I wasn't that person, but I was a sinner. There's no doubt about that. The Bible, I believe the Bible teaches we were conceived in sin. And because Adam and Eve sinned, it says, For as by one man sin entered to the world, and death by sin, 
So death passed upon all men for all of sin. So I was born a sinner and I lived it up for the first 12 years. I was a, and, and I was someone who had sinned. But then this phrase, I realized that God's mercy for me and his love for me. And at 12 years old, I received Christ as my Savior. That's the but God. That's what takes Acts 13. What Jesus did, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and applies it to my account. Until that point, at 12 years old, the death, burial, and resurrection was a wonderful thing that I knew about, but it hadn't changed my life because I had not received it for myself. But at 12 years old, I received what Jesus did for me and put, that got put onto my account. And then it said, I was raised with Christ. So what happened on that day uh, when I was 12 years old, it was like as if God, the Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, all of that was seen in me. And I was with, in Christ and God forgave me of my sins and saved me. Why? Because I'm a good person? No, because of verse 4 says, because of his mercy and because of his great love. Those are the two things. You see, our whole series has been but God. It's God's answer to Satan's challenge. Satan's challenge to me was keeping me in sin. And the same thing for you. I, I want to assume that everybody in this room has accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. But maybe you haven't. Maybe you don't know if you died today you'd go to heaven. Maybe you don't have a relationship with God. Well, guess what? Then those verses that I was reading is where you currently are. But verse 4 is where you could be. But God who is rich in mercy, and his great love wherewith he loved us. He loves you, and he loves me. And I, and I realize we've heard this since we were a kid. We know John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But we can forget that in our, in our country that is getting more and more post-Christian. We need to be reminded that God loves us, and God is rich in mercy. And he's not up there in heaven just waiting to punish us. He's up there in heaven with love for us, wanting to show his mercy to us. So what do we do? Well, that's the wrong really question. We don't have to do anything. Everything's already been done for us. Jesus did everything. All we have to do is place our faith and trust in him and receive him is our savior and when we do it says we were dead in sins we're quickened he quickens us together with christ he makes us alive he raises us up together and makes us to sit in heavenly places in jesus christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and kindness toward us through jesus christ and then i like to go to these verses sometimes i don't always do it recently michelle and i were talking to a lady 80-some years old, and she, and, and she got saved. I didn't go to these verses then. But listen to these verses. For by grace are ye saved through faith. I think it's so important, and some of you are in here in Christians, you say, I already know this. I've already been saved. Why are we emphasizing this? Because this is the ultimate but God. Satan was winning in sin, but God raised up Jesus. But Satan was winning in my life. But God, at 12 years old, his mercy extended to me and I received Christ as my Savior. But you know, there's a lot of people out there today that think that they got to do something to get them to heaven. I have to, I have to be a part of this church. I have to get baptized. I've been reading some of them, listening to some lately, and studying the theology of some of these people that do believe that. That they believe that they have to do this thing or earn this to get to heaven. 
But I love this simple verse right here. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Imagine if I came to Michelle on, on her birthday and I said, Hey, I got you a gift. She said, All right. And I said, It's something you're going to love. She's like, What? I said, Yeah, you're going to love this. And, and I get this gift out and, and I'm carrying it. And she's just like, Oh, this is great. And I carried it up to her and I said, Here you go. And she's like, Oh, yes. And she reached out to get it. I said, Ah, 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 $150. She's like, What? <laughs> She said, you said it was a gift. I said, it is a gift. Look at this. I wrapped it up and everything. Here you go. And she's like, all right. And if I made her pay, now, first of all, she is not going to pay. But if I made her pay and she handed me $150 and then I gave her this, is that a gift? No, she just bought it. She just paid for it. She just earned it. Same thing with salvation. He says salvation is a gift. It's a gift. And so if I have to do anything to earn it, it's no longer a gift. He says it's a gift of God. Then look at verse 9, very clear. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If we, had, if we could work to earn it, we could boast about it. So salvation is nothing me. I could do nothing. All I did was get myself in a pit. I was a sinner deserving nothing, but God, who is rich in his mercy and his great love, showed me forgiveness at 12 years old when I cried out to him. All of that because of the resurrection. Now, I'm not going to go any further. I want to talk so much more about the resurrection. If I went back to Acts 13... It doesn't stick with our context, but do you realize when we talk about, let me, let me, I have to give this little nugget though, or I have to say this. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection wasn't just to, just to get you to heaven. A lot of us as Christians struggle with this because we think, all right, I'm, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, I've received Jesus, I believe he died, was buried and rose again, I'm on my way to heaven, great. And then we look at the rest of our lives as if we got to figure this out on our own. And we get, keep getting beat up by sin, and we failed in sin, and then we think, well, I, I just can't. Hold on. Do you realize the same power that raised up Jesus from the dead now lives in you in the form of the Holy Spirit? The resurrection didn't just give us victory over our past sin, and isn't just freeing us from, from sin in the future when we're in heaven, but right now. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. What I'm saying right now is whatever you are struggling with, whatever sin is dominating your life, the power of the resurrection can give you victory today. That's all. Study Romans 6, 7, and 8 sometime. Romans 6, 7, and 8 is all about the resurrected Christ giving you victory now. He says this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I don't have to let sin reign in me. My anger doesn't have to control you. Worry doesn't have to control you. Why? Because you have a new master, Jesus Christ. I used to just give this illustration. Maybe I'll give it in close. Because I, 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 some of you maybe have heard me share this before. But growing up, I worked at Lieber State Park. Where we're going to have our Easter egg hunt. I worked at East, uh, there, and I loved it. One of the best jobs you could ever have. I worked there. We work on the gator. We get on the gator. Did you, you worked there, didn't you, Ryan, for some time? Did you ever work there? You missed out, man. You missed out. Greatest job. Work at Lieber. You just mow grass, which I like to do. You'd hide out in places and just do nothing. You'd drive these gators around. Then I became security, and I did nothing as security. I mean, you were in trouble. If you were, when I was security, I was driving around. I fell asleep one time, and 
One time I was driving and a deer at night, about three in the morning, a deer came jumping out. I screamed like a girl. I mean, I was not ready for that. But I absolutely loved that job as security. Well, then after college, I came back and I was going to go to Michigan to be an assistant pastor, but I needed to work for a short time. And so I got a job at Walmart. Hated it. Hated the job. Hated the job. Worked at Walmart. Midnight shift again. That was all right. I was waxing floors. And, and we would be the guys who were cleaning the floors. And I had a boss over me. Her name was Jean. And Jean had no idea what was going on. Zero idea what was going on. Okay. So I'm trying to work my job. I had guys that were going out and they were, uh, I don't know, whatever you do with meth. I don't know if you snort it, you smell it. I don't know what you do. I'm not a meth user. But whatever you do with that stuff, they're out there doing that. Okay. Because they say it openly. And then they come back and they can't work. They're all messed up. And so I'm doing everybody's job. And Gene does, has no idea what's going on. We're six months of my life. Didn't like that job. Cleaning toilets and stuff too. Didn't like that job. Now, so if I walk back into Walmart, and now it's been 20 years, but let's say I walk back into Walmart and Gene happened to still be working there, which would be a miracle, all right? But let's say Gene's still there. Gene said, hey, Brad, I see you over there. You used to work for me. I said, yeah, I did, Gene. She says, hey, go, cl- go, go clean the toilets right now. You know what I'm going to say to Gene? Nope. You're no longer my master. I've got a new master now. All right? First National Bank's my new master. I have a new master. You're no longer my master. I am not going to do it. See you later, Gene. I'm out of here. And she has no authority over me, does she? Now, a lot of us, if I went back to, if I went back to Lieber, and Mike Klingerman's not there anymore, but if he was there and he said, hey, Brad, you want to jump on the Dixie and you want to go mow a little bit? You know what? He has no authority over me. I could say, nope, Mike, I'm out of here. But I'd be tempted to be like, sure, let me give it a spin. I liked it, man. I love getting on those Dixies, be flying up and down. We'd, we had a way to get those, get underneath the, the picnic tables and move them. We broke several of them, but you can move them and never have to get off. I mean, I would have the time of my life for a couple hours, put the headphones in, and I'd be driving around. Wouldn't mind it at all. They say, How, where's all this going? Well, here's why. When you got saved and you became a Christian, you have a new master. You're no longer under the authority of sin and Satan. So now when Satan comes crawling into your life like Gene did to me, and, and if, if Satan says, hey, you know what? You need to, you need to be controlled by that anger. That anger is going to, you need to be angry about this. You need to worry about this. You need to do this. You know what? We have the authority to say to Satan, no, you don't, you're no longer my boss. I have a new master, Jesus Christ, and he tells me not to be angry. He tells me not to worry. He tells me not to lust. He tells me to have peace. He tells me to be long-suffering, and he's my master now. I don't have to listen to you anymore, and we can have victory because of the death, burial, and resurrection. But you know what we do a lot of times? We kind of like that sin, just like I kind of like Libra. And so we'll get around that sin, and all of a sudden we want to get angry, and we want to worry, and we feel justified in it. And so just like Lieber would come to me and say, hey, can you do this? And our flesh says, I want to sin, I want to worry about this, and we feel justified in it. And so we feel like, you know what? I'm not going to claim my new authority. I'm going to waller in my sin. And that's where we see a lot of Christians today. They're not taking advantage of what they have in Jesus Christ because they enjoy the pit of sin. But you know what? We need to get to that point where we say, like I would say to Gene at Walmart today, hey, 
I have a new master. That's where that whole verse in Romans 6, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof. I can say to Gene at Walmart, you can't tell me what to do. And we, by the power and position that we've been granted through Jesus Christ, can say to sin, you no longer have authority over me. I'm, I'm in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to see the fruit of the Spirit in my life and not that sin. We can do that. Not because of anything we are, but because that's what Jesus Christ did. When this says, but God raised up Jesus from the dead, that was claiming not only victory over sin in your past and in your future, but right now in your present. I'm not saying sinless perfection. What I'm saying is this. You have the power to overcome whatever you are saying. I just can't. You know what? It's, it's in my line of family. We're all drunks all the way down through my family. It doesn't matter. In Jesus Christ, you can have victory. He said, well, my dad was angry. My mom was angry. I grew up in an angry home. I'm just going to be an angry person. No, no, no. In Jesus Christ, you can see victory. That's what the Bible teaches. And if we didn't believe that, then there's no point in really meeting together and teaching. Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection gives us victory. All right, let's pray.